chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to the word of God. Once was Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, which is in the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boat boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, or literally a man of unclean lips, what it says in the Greek. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything to follow him. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mrs. Beard was my... 11th grade history teacher and she was this dignified woman <clears throat> gray hair she always dressed to the tees um, she spoke very eloquently and uh, was a person that even though she was small of stature just by her presence kind of commanded respect although one time I did see her dragging somebody down the hall a guy bigger than her by the year, which you can't do that anymore, I don't think. But anyway, so we all respected Mrs. Beer. Matter of fact, and she was my history teacher, and I loved history. And, and there's something about it. When I think of the GOP, the Grand Ole Party, Mrs. Beard always came to my mind. She was just this amazing kind of uh, wonderful figure. And uh, we, as uh, juniors, we got to go to the Washington, D.C. to visit. And it was a pretty memorable trip. I, I can remember a couple of things from it. One. We were in the rotunda, and there was a group of us kind of students hanging around, and this tour guy came over and said, I can see your students. There's somebody I think you would like to meet. And uh, the tour guide took us over, and it was the last living descendant of Abraham Lincoln, which was pretty cool. Now, I don't know if it was true or not. I never looked it up, but I believe the tour guide. And this was a small old man who, um, probably was in his 80s or so, and, and uh, he was very kind to us, and, and we met him, and that was pretty pretty amazing. Now, we were getting ready to go into the Senate, uh, in the galley in the Senate chambers, and of course, the teachers on the way down said, okay, don't carry it on. And then, of course, they said, particularly when you're in government buildings, okay, you, be, you better behave, because they don't mess around there. Now. You know, we listened to her, and we probably thought, okay, she's exaggerating. Well, we found out that wasn't the case, because I can still remember, I don't know what my friend Jim Miracle did, 
the last time we saw him that day, he was being tackled and drug away by the Capitol Police. So I, I, knowing him, he made a joke about a gun or something. It was before 9-11. So they did eventually let him out of wherever they kept him. But really, well, they're telling the truth about this. So. And so we get into the up in the Senate chambers, and it was not a normal session of the Senate. So uh, I can remember Robert Byrd was the majority leader, uh, and Howard Baker of Tennessee was the minority leader, who we all knew who Howard Baker was because of the Watergate hearings. And uh, so they were talking back and forth, and, and suddenly Mrs. Beard went from being this dignified, naturally woman to like a teenager at a Beatles concert, you know. And I happened to be sitting beside her, and she, she, like, she started grabbing my arm, she goes, there's Howard Baker, and then she goes, there's, there's Robert Byrd, and then Ted Kennedy walked in. She goes, there's Ted Kennedy and Robert Dole. And, but this I'll always remember. Um, Hubert Humphrey walked in and he was, he was only about six months away from his death. He was fighting cancer at the time. When Hubert Humphrey walks in, she grabs my arm and she goes, oh my God, it's Hubert Humphrey. <laughs> it could have been Elvis. It could have been, it could have been you know, Jim Morrison. Whoever you, I mean, but it was Hubert Humphrey. And I, I'll never forget her. Her, her, her thrill at, uh, at seeing Hubert, at, at Hubert Humphrey. And, uh, and, you know, this was a woman who was involved in local politics and her life was teaching young people history. So getting to see some living history was something that, that really moved her. Uh, but the same question I asked the kids, I'll ask you, what would it be like to meet Jesus? Or even more broadly, what would an encounter with God feel like? And I'm not talking about, you know, that kind of sense when you're out in nature, maybe, and you have a sense of how beautiful it is. Um, you know, again, I, I, I like the spirituality of nature, too. But there's something different about encountering the living God. But we have, we have two situations, both in our Hebrew text, our, uh, the passage from Isaiah, the very pa uh, popular or famous passage in Isaiah, as well as Jesus encountering the disciples and the call, according to Luke's gospel, the first call of the disciples. And I think what both, what both stories strike me at is that God comes to us where we are. Now, Isaiah is in the temple. <laughs> There's no indication that he was a priest. We know he was a prophet. So he has this vision. Okay, it's kind of a mystical vision, if you would, uh, while he's attending to his worship. Maybe he's just in there praying. Maybe he came in to do a sacrifice. But while he's in the temple, he has this vision. And there's no indication he might be the only one who had this vision. So in the context of, of saying his prayers, in the context of being the good churchgoer that he was, he has an encounter with God that he wasn't expecting, and frankly, was downright terrifying. Okay. Matter of fact, it, it's the idea of the train of God filled the temple. Well, the train is the bottom of a road. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it gives you a sense of just the bottom of God's road filled the temple. And you have these big naked seraphims, okay? And again, I, it's funny, I, um, some people put, you know, I had a lot of people comment about John's surgery, thank you, those of you kept him in prayers, and he's doing well. 
But one of my uh, members from a from a former uh, church sent me a little picture of a of a cat angel, wishing me good tidings. Okay, uh, I didn't know there were cat angels. I won't make any statements about cats. Cats are okay. All right. Anyway, I don't know they're gonna be angels or not. But then the person afterwards said another disclaimer. She goes, "Oh, I forgot how you feel about angels." Okay, and, and again, I'm not against angels. I'm just saying, biblical angels aren't those cute little naked babies flying around, okay? They aren't those lovely things you put on your Christmas tree. Biblical angels are apocalyptic monsters, all right? And you don't want one showing up. <laughs> so poor Isaiah is just trying to say his prayers, okay? He could have even been writing out his check to put in the offering. I don't know what he was doing, but all of a sudden, he has his vision of a huge God who can't, you really can see the bottom of his robe and a bunch of scary naked monster angels, all right? So that's not necessarily a particularly pleasant encounter, right? It's pretty, pretty shaking. Now, Peter is just, is just minding his business. Well, he's actually about his business, right? He's doing his work. And I can even see where Peter's kind of watching this country preacher getting pushed into the water by the crowds. You know, the crowds are pressing up against Jesus, and you know, the more they press, you know, he's getting pushed into the water to the point where Jesus says, hey, can I borrow one of your boats? And I can see these sailors, these fishermen, just kind of chuckling to themselves, sure, you can borrow a boat. And they're cleaning their nets. Maybe they were listening to what he had to say. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were kind of half listening. But what's interesting here is God encountered each of these people where they were. And I think that's probably one of the first things we need to be aware of, that God is present and able to encounter us wherever we are in life. That could be locatively, that means where we're at location-wise. It can also be where we're at spiritually or emotionally. Some of us are open to God. Some of us are pretty closed off. Some of us have incredible needs in our lives. Some of us have things that we can't even begin to mention to anyone. Some of us are angry, and maybe we don't even know what we're angry about. Some of us are not sure what's going to happen next. Regardless of where we're at, God can show up. And in both these situations, one man's working, other man the same prayers, and God shows up in an unexpected way. The other thing is the encounter leaves them shaken. Now, we understand why Isaiah is shook up, right? Because he just has these big, naked, scary angels showing up, and, and he's just trying to say his prayers, right? But why is Peter, which, what, what shakes Peter? Well, you know, he'd been up all night, they'd been fishing, okay? They hadn't caught anything. They just clean their nets, they want to go home. Okay? How many times do we, okay, I know the day didn't go very well, I just want to go home, have a little dinner, and maybe go to bed, okay? I just want to read a book, watch a little television, I just want to block it all out. All right, so Peter had a bad day at work, just wanted to go home. But after this country preacher gets done giving a sermon, he asks them about their fishing. And they tell him he didn't catch anything. 
And he suggests, well, why don't you try again? Now, if I was Peter, I'd go, now listen, you may have been a good carpenter. I hear you, your work was good. You gave a fine sermon there, Jesus. But you are not a fisherman. I've just cleaned my nets. I just want to go home. But there was something about the way Jesus said it that made them try again. And, you know, on one level, they should be thrilled, right? This was, this was a bountiful harvest, okay? They were going to make a good bit of money that day. They went from having no luck to the best catch they'd ever had. So we understand why Isaiah was terrified at his vision in the temple. But why was Peter afraid? Well, here's where they both have something in common. They encountered something they didn't understand. They encountered something that was bigger than they were. Now, <laughs> you know, Isaiah says, get away from me. I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm, matter of fact, I thought it was okay. I came to church, I thought it was okay, but now you show up, I realize I'm not. Peter has, actually, that's why I translate the Greek from the way my translation had it. Peter says the same thing in Greek. I'm a man of unclean lips. Okay, it's a metaphor for someone who isn't quite living right. You know, it's more than just I'm a foul-mouthed sailor, all right? That's kind of, you know, maybe he was. But both Isaiah and Peter encounter something bigger than them, and they realize that there's an inadequacy. Peter's probably thinking, I don't know who you are, but I don't really belong in the same company. Now, it's important, I think, this is an important corrective in our day and age, because we live in a kind of a, a time where we all emphasize our own right to be, our own right to speak, okay? And as Christians, I believe everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone has infinite worth and our due dignity and respect. But why does everyone have infinite worth? Is because the infinite one has said so. We may be stardust, okay, but we are still dust. And I think one of the biggest problems in today, today's world is our propensity, or, or at least the seeming tendency, for us to judge everything by our own measure. And what's essential, I think, when it comes to life of faith, is to realize that we are dependent creatures. We're not the center of the cosmos. That there are things that are bigger than us. I was talking to somebody the other day about what being a parent teaches you about God. Uh, I can't remember why the conversation came up. But one of the things is that, and, and, and love sort of does this too, right? Because how, why, you know, it's funny. We're all 
Yeah, love songs are always talking about forever, right? Uh, you know, I, I love you always and forever. Forever you'll be mine. I love you just the way you are. Okay, but that, that never really works out. <laughs> you know, it hardly does work out. Matter of fact, even if they do, if you even have this great love, one of you leaves first. And so, love, I think, points towards something bigger than ourselves, but it's still contained within all the things that happen in the material world. Same thing about being a parent. Being a parent suddenly reminds you, or it doesn't sound like it dramatically reminds you that suddenly you are responsible. And all those things you used to live in denial about, you can't really live in denial about. It reorders your whole way of thinking. And part of it is that it, it creates a new dimension of love because you are dealing with someone who is totally dependent on you in the beginning. So there's a sense where part of where faith is really most fed is when we begin to realize that we are dependent creatures. When we really begin to realize that we don't have it all together. When we understand there's a sense of need in our life. Uh, I like, I can't, see, it's, it's, it's a, I remember the commercial, I don't remember the product, right? So that means it's probably an unsuccessful commercial, right? Because I'm supposed to remember. But where the guy's getting a tattoo, there's a whole series of these, right? The guy's getting a tattoo, and the guy says, uh, aren't you supposed to draw it first? And the guy says to him, stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> well, why do we stay in our lanes? We, you know, because we try to stay where we're comfortable. But encountering God is something that moves us out of our comfort zone. And whether it's a sense of your own sinfulness or your own uh, mortality or your own inability to figure it all out, encountering God is not initially something we feel a certain oneness about. Encountering the living God creates a certain kind of, there's something different between us. Now, there's something not quite right with me. Something needs to change. And this is what's great though, about our faith, right? Okay, so Jesus is talking to Peter. Peter realizes there's something really special about this guy, something scary about this guy, all right? And get away from me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Okay, part of that is because he doesn't feel adequate, but part of it is this guy's a little scary. I don't know if I want him hanging around my boat. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen next. And so, what is Jesus' response when Peter says, depart from me, I'm a man of unclean lips? Well, Jesus says, you know, you're right. And I need you to go reform yourself a little bit. Okay? I want you to go join a church. I want you to start giving money to that church. And I want you to start living by the Ten Commandments. I want you to be a good citizen, and also you should floss twice a day. Is that, is that what Jesus says to Peter? Peter says, I'm a foul-mouthed man. There are things I've done, Jesus, you don't want to know about. And what does Jesus say then? 
and just the kind of people I'm looking for. I've got new work for you, Peter. Come with me, we're going to start catching people. We're going to start helping people understand what the world's about. We're going to start helping people be freed from their guilt, from their pain, from the oppression. And Peter drops everything and follows them. I think we all have this kind of calling on our life. We have a calling to be better than we can be, to be different than who we are. But it's not a matter of reforming behavior. It's not a matter of finding out who we are. It's not a matter of seeking our own bliss. Our freedom, our healing, our forgiveness comes with walking with the one who loves us. And also, doing the work he wants us to do. It's like Jesus says, you know what? We're going to figure this out along the way. Faith is not so much of experience. Faith is not merely something you believe. Faith certainly isn't something you've made up yourself. Faith is trusting that there's something bigger than me and that this thing bigger than me knows who I am, flaws and all, and still wants me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand together and say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.